continue what we were discussing yesterday when we had began to discuss the idea, the specific example that he wants to give, which is the example of Shabbos, which although in theory, many people can relate to the idea of Shabbos, but the idea of doing all of the different prohibitions is often something that people struggle with. And this is not a newfound problem. This is something that was, that was certainly widespread during the time that he's writing this book. So he's describing what the, co the concept of what Shabbos is meant to represent. It is the concept that on the day on which for the first time man has faced the completed creation, right? So we can lose sight of the fact that we are not actually in control, right? That we have some ability to rule it, but it only comes from God. So what we were in the middle of yesterday is the next paragraph, the middle paragraph on 184. In order to make this idea come alive, that we should never lose sight of the fact that God created the world and that we are just supposed to be the rulers on his behalf, right? But it all actually belongs solely to God. In order to make this idea come alive, you are to refrain on Shabbos from exercising your human dominion over any and all things. You must not use your human abilities to form them into objects for human use. You must, as it were, return the world which you borrowed so as to realize always that it is only lent to you. Consequently, the work forbidden on Shabbat is essentially melechet machshavet, that is productive activity executed consciously, intentionally by the means and in the measure required to obtain the desired product. In other words, an action executed on an object in a way that gives evidence of human intelligence and human power. So the way in which that's going to have to happen is it has to be intentional. It has to be the specific measure that you came up with, that the output actually matched what your intended output was meant to be from the beginning. We have many concepts, and he's going to go through some of these concepts right now, many concepts of specific requirements, right? Or I should say this is going to be in the negative, of specific um, elements, right, and conditions that are necessary for it to be a violation of the Torah prohibition on Shabbat that only applies to Shabbat. So, for example, the prohibition of work does not include actions that are essentially kilkul. Kilkul is a destructive act. It is not a creative act. It is a destructive act. It does not build. It destroys, right? The, the Talmud tells us there is a, a general concept of kilkul, that, of destruction, that is actually considered to be a forbidden act on Shabbat, and that is when you are breaking something on condition to rebuild it. But anything other than that, anytime you talk about breaking something with, that, with no intent of rebuilding, right? then it will not be forbidden on a Torah level. Let me give you an example of that. So the halacha is you're not allowed to put out a fire on Shabbat. But the Gemara says, what do you mean? Putting out a fire on Shabbat, why is that a problem? That should be an act of destruction. Putting out a fire is not an act of creating something. It's an act of creating an absence of something. That's not a creative action, rendering something use or fit for human consumption, right? What the Gemara explains is like this. On a Torah level, the putting out of a fire for which one would be liable would be the putting out of a fire which would create a coal, right? When they had the Mishkan, the tabernacle, remember anything that is forbidden to be done on Shabbat, the 39 forbidden labors, those are the actions that were done in, according to the Bavli, according to our you know, Babylonian Talmud. It is the activities that were involved in the creation of the Mishkan, okay? So what would happen is like this. They would have to, they had these different krashim, they had the different beams, right? The, the, the beams that were the, end up becoming the walls on the sides of the Mishkan before they put the tent on top of it, right? Before they put the, 
the fabric on top of that. So they have to put the beams together. Now, if any of you have ever put together a sukkah that is not made with lattice or with plastic, I guess with lattice, you're also gonna have to do this. You label them. This is left back corner. This is left uh, you know, middle corner, left middle. This is uh, left front corner, right? And so on and so forth. You label them and you typically will put them like right at the top, right? You put them right next to where the other label would be, right? You label with like a Sharpie or something. So they would take the crushim and they would actually label them. They would label the crushim with their writing utensils at that time. Now, what would they use? They would use a coal, right? A C-O-A-L, right? They would take a, a gachel, what we call in Hebrew, gachelet, right? Or pechamin, right? They would take a coal after it's already gotten cool. And then they would use that to write with the charcoal, okay? So the only type of prohibition of, on a Torah level of putting out a fire would be the putting out of a fire that will create something for further use. As an example, creating charcoal, right? Which then you can use to write something. Misasik. Misasik is something which is unplanned. So misasik means like this. Misasik is, for example, you wake up in the middle of the night to go to the restroom. And when you go to that restroom, you're, you're three quarters asleep. When you go into the bathroom without any conscious thought, right? It is completely habitual at that point. Your hand just automatically goes to your light switch, right? Depending on who you are, if you're the kind of person who turns your light off. Today, sometimes they say, if you have the LEDs, maybe it's better to keep it on. You don't even supposed to turn it off, uh, but okay. But either way, let's say you turn off your light every time you go in and out of the bathroom. So without even thinking at all, you're going to put your hand on that switch. That will be considered misasic. There is no conscious thought involved. When there's no conscious thought involved, it's not as it doesn't fulfill the condition of having been a productive activity executed consciously. It's not executed consciously. Masasik, another example would be if someone bends down to pick up a piece of grass from the floor with thinking that that piece of grass is already detached from the floor, right, from the earth, and instead they pick up one that is either right next to it, or they picked up the one that they thought was detached, but it turns out it was actually attached. So they had no intent to do the action that they ended up doing. An action, she'eno mischaven, that it is unintentional. So an action that's unintentional is like this. You do an action with uh, one intention, right? And then there's a unintended consequence, okay? So an example like that, mm -hmm. the famous example that the uh, Gemara gives is what's called a psik resha. A psik resha literally means to cut off the chicken's head. Literally means to cut off a head. In this context, it means to cut off a chicken's head. Why? Because your kid needs a play toy. And this is before they had Lego. So what they would play with is a chicken's head, okay? Very nice. So you want to cut off a chicken's head for your kid. You don't want to cut off the chicken's head because you want the chicken to die. You, you just need the chicken's head. And that's the only thing you need because the kid can't play with the chicken. He can play with the chicken's head. So, okay, what do you do? You cut off the chicken's head. But the unintended consequence is that obviously the chicken is going to die. Now, in that example, as it happens, that's an unintended consequence that is so part and parcel of what you're doing that it is difficult to separate. And almost everyone agrees that that is still forbidden, even, even though typically there might be a, uh, a case of where it's an unintended consequence that would be permitted, okay? So uh, a case where it would be permitted, um, let's say, let me think, what would be an example? Um, no, that's the example of I, uh, I'm drawing a blank right now. The next example is like this. What's called a malacha she'ino tzricha It is not needed for its own purpose, okay? So an example of that would be where you're engaging in an action and the result of this action is exactly the prohibited result, but you didn't do it for that result. Okay, so it sounds very similar to the previous case, and there's really a lot to talk about. I don't mean to 
try to you know synopsize something that's a complicated topic. Um, but let's say uh, an example of that would be if you put out the fire, but not for the sake of creating the, the charcoal. So if you put out the fire for the sake of creating the charcoal, that would be the malacha. That would be the creative action that is forbidden. If you put out a fire, not for the sake of creating it, but by definition, putting out a fire automatically, that is what you're doing. You're creating a coal. That would be what is called, what is called a malacha. You did the prohibited act, but not for the purpose for which it is prohibited. Okay. Is a question exactly what these are? Is there a dispute as to what their status is rabbinic, perhaps Torah level prohibition? But these are not, we're trying to deal with is the amount of conditions that are necessary for this to be in full violation of the Torah prohibition of what is called melechet machshevet. There's lots of different conditions for it to meet that bar. And actions that are kilacharyad. Kilacharyad means with the back of the hand. It means something done in an unusual or inefficient way. So what we will be told is that if you have to violate Shabbat for whatever reason, and you, let's say you have to save someone's life, you have to violate Shabbat. If you can't save someone's life without in doing it in an un, inefficient way, because it is in an inefficient way, and the Torah requires doing the act in its most efficient, most productive, most constructive manner, it will not be a violation on a Torah level. Now, if it means that you might not save the person's life because you're doing it in a backwards way, obviously you need to do it in, in the regular way. Or less than the shear. The shear is a requisite amount, right? You have a measure. So for example, you're not supposed to eat food on Yom Kippur. Let's say you eat one crumb on Yom Kippur. Have you violated on a Torah level? Or I shouldn't say that. You actually have violated on a Torah level eating on Yom Kippur. But if somebody wanted to get the punishment of eating on Yom Kippur, or didn't want to, but was afraid, right? And he starts engaging in an action and he starts eating. At what point is one going to be liable for violating the prohibition of eating on Yom Kippur when they eat a, a specific measure, like the size of a date, right? If they eat less than that measure, they have not violated on some level, at least on the highest level, they haven't violated the prohibition in a sense for which they get punished. So oftentimes there is a measure that when we talk about a specific requirement not to engage in an action, the, there is a measure of that action. So you want to talk about carrying something on Shabbat when there is no, uh, no Eruv, right? There's no, uh, there's no boundary. There's no um, thing that's mixing together the people in the city. There's no uh, what we call the... Um, the, the walls, the, the uh, ceremonial walls, symbolic walls around the city. So the, there's not like any, if you took out crumb outside, it would not be violation on a Torah level of carrying because it didn't meet the requisite measure. It did not meet a measure of something that would be a productive action, okay? So all of these are conditions necessary for to be in violation of the prohibition of working on Shabbat. He's using this, and we're gonna finish this next week. He's using this to explain the conceptually how a mitzvah, it is only in its entirety that you can really get a sense of what exactly is trying to be conveyed through engaging in both the positive actions and refraining from the negative actions associated with that mitzvah. Okay, take care, everyone.